We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And we just got done recording a fun pod about the in-season tournament in general. Lakers came away as champions. Uh, and we're going to dive into the specifics of the basketball of both that championship game, but also kind of how it projects going forward. Now, Darius in the last pod was talking about how the game plan in the title game in particular was more team specific on both ends of the court than it can be in uh, a lot of regular season games. And that's absolutely the case. Lakers score 123 points somehow on two threes. Both the the spirits of Mike Trudell and Byron Scott in the studio were full of joy and happiness watching that. They scored 86 points in the paint, something like that. That was the offensive end, which we can get into, and I think we will more. But the last couple of weeks of the pod, we've really been focusing on the Lakers' defense. And so I do want to start there as... The Pacers came into that game with a historic offense on paper, D, and with Halliburton coming in with like 28 assists and zero turnovers in the previous two games, he had two turnovers in the first like two minutes and 15 seconds of that game. The Lakers will get into like the blitzing and trapping in the half court. I loved our our transition principles against them. They like to run off of inbounds a lot. That's part of the way that you get to the numbers that they're at. And we started having Cam pick up full court on Halliburton uh, and just kind of like building that wall early and not making sure that they can advance it real quick. And so uh, let's start there, man. Just that, that sort of, if you're going to build a games, a team specific game plan against a team like the Pacers, I do think it kind of starts in transition. So talk to me about what you saw from our defense on Halliburton and just them in general in that respect, and then lead that uh, into the half court. So transition defense is, often about like how often can the other team run off of like missed shots and the Pacers were somewhat effective in doing that but I thought the Lakers did a pretty good job of getting back as well um also like the way that you can counteract that is by crashing the offensive glass and making guys stay Mm -hmm. in a little bit more and since this has been happening for a couple of weeks now so even before Vanderbilt got back like AD started to go to the offensive glass more and it's 
been keeping centers in mm-hmm. there a little bit more and and guards having to pinch down and that helps. But I think your overall point is correct. Like Vando and these guys were not only crashing the glass, but then they were also like bothering Halliburton in the backcourt way more. And I don't know how many possessions it was, Pete, but at least, I don't know, half a dozen, eight, ten possessions, they were trying to inbounds to Halliburton and they couldn't mm-hmm. inbound because of the ball denial. And yep. so it's just like they weren't even he wasn't even getting the ball until they got back into the half court. And then he's got the ball in the half court only for them to only for the Lakers to sort of exert their will in that area as well by basically trapping him and getting the ball out of his hands. You heard it a bunch during the telecast and and in the aftermath of things, but it's an age old basketball idea. Mike cut the head of the snake. And the body's not going to work anymore, right? And so that's exactly what they tried to do with Halliburton. And they started early. I thought Pete's point about picking him up full court as well, just not to turn him or, but just to like, hey, like we're here for you. And it wasn't just Cam that did that. Vando Mm -hmm. did that as well. And Halliburton commented about it after the game that like not every team has dudes like this, which you're right. But the Lakers do. And leveraging that against this Pacers team, I thought, was the very first thing. It was establishing the terms of engagement. The Lakers set the terms. It was the Pacers who were trying to break out of those shackles the entire game. And they tried hard to do so and had a valiant effort in that regard, Mike. But the Lakers were consistently there. And it's that part of things that can make them an oppressive defense. Yeah, we spoke about the identity that comes out of this IST for the Lakers in the last pod. And after the game, one of the things I like about when the NBA comes in is that they transcribe all of the quotes for the opponent as well. And before I started doing TV, I used to get to kind of I would go back and forth and I would try to get some perspectives on the opponent. And I just think that stuff is is always interesting. And so I was reading through the transcript for Halliburton and I sent you guys this quote. But here it is. Every team doesn't have Anthony Davis and a bunch of six, eight, six, nine wings. So there's that as well. Just understanding how different looks are going to come. This doesn't have a regular season feel at all. I'm used to playing LeBron, whatever he plays, 30, 35 minutes. It felt like him and AD never came off the floor. It was like a playoff type deal. So first of all, LeBron's minutes were around there. Um, AD did get the additional the additional five right to get to 40. But that's the point right there. Like what Halliburton just said, it's not that he hasn't seen traps before. It's not that he doesn't know how to deal with a double team. It's not that he hasn't seen big wings guarding him. It's that the second guy coming over isn't Anthony Davis. And guess what? (laughs) There aren't a lot of guys. If Memphis could maybe get close to this with Jaron Jackson Jr., but he's not as good at AD um, out in the perimeter moving his feet. Mobley, maybe a, a little bit like they could replicate that in Cleveland. But then Cleveland doesn't have the big wings. Because there, there are guys on the ball, or it's like Mitchell or Garland. And off the bench, they've got, you know, George Niang. Maybe Levert's a little bit, but uh, you get my point. Like, it's not, this is not a style that you can just do that somebody like Halliburton can't figure out. Uh, and it's, in Anthony Davis is the biggest key. And then, Pete, it's the point of attack, guys, with the extra length. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was Danny Green when the Lakers won the title, like, to an extent, KCP. Um, he's a, he's better at other things, but it's it's... This is what the Lakers have that other teams don't. And I love them leaning into it and then kind of just figuring out the rest of it 
along the way. In this case, it was easy because Indiana is going to give you what you want at the rim. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be that easy against that's other right. opponents. They're going to have to do better stuff in the half court. But um, but yeah, so that that's the part that like Halliburton explained it. And it's it's a, a reason. Uh, there's a reason for that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that the the Lakers defense, you pointed out the point of attack guy and Anthony Davis, and that is the main part of it. I also want to uh, put a little bit of focus on the help defense. This style of defense, one of the yeah. things that kind of like teams used to blitz pick and rolls more than they do now. And that's what we did in this game is we showed really high with AD, which is something that you can't do with a lot of fives. Like if you compare the tape of, say, the Milwaukee game to the Lakers coverage, like there's just certain things you can't do without the personnel, like you were saying, Mike. And you can still have a very good defender in Brooke Lopez, but you can't have him blitzing and recovering to the same degree. And I should have clarified too, like AD, it's not just right that initial and you're about to do this beat, but it's not just him coming up. It's then he somehow can still get yes. back and recover to the rim. Like that's, that's the key about Anthony Davis that I, I should have and, clarified because he, and then he can, he can kind of soft close. He can close out to the three point line and then get back and, and pack. Uh, was it yep. Bruce Brown? That it, yeah. After he, clo- he closed out the to Turner and then pack and then Bruce Brown just looked up and was like, yep. What? Well, and he heard footsteps too. And this is something that AD does. There's, I'll I'll be making a video on AD defensively, but one of the things that happens on almost every play, especially when there's screens involved, is both the offensive player with the ball and then the big man, Anthony Davis, in this circumstance, have a binary decision to make, or sometimes there's a third pass to make. But it's basically like, if you're in a drop coverage, for example, it's like, okay, if I'm too close to the ball handler, I'm going to give up the lob to the big guy. But if I'm too close to the big guy, I'm going to give up an easy little floater to the the ball handler, or even a layup at the rim if I stay too attached, right? And so there's always this like, I'm sort of guarding this guy, but I'm also sorting, sort of guarding that guy. That's a key to playing good team defense. And I loved what happened. And what happens with playing a blitzing style of play D is that you get into help rotations, those fix it. And it's not just fix it, but you create a four on three by putting two on the ball. And one of the reasons the NBA has gone away from a lot of that blitzing on pick and rolls is the league very much kind of figured that out in a lot of ways. And like, okay, if we, if you're going to blitz, we'll just do, ABC and the ball's going to end up in the corner and then we're going to be asking your big man to close out from right under the basket to an open corner three and he can't get there. And so the blitz coverage, it hasn't died off, but it certainly isn't as prevalent as it used to be. The Lakers are able to play it that way because of the personnel that they have, but it requires certain asks from your other guys to help navigate those off ball like i'm sort of guarding my guy but i'm also sort of helping in this other direction too that i thought we navigated really well they were great at it anthony davis the play that mike was talking about it's actually highlighted on laker social so you should go watch it but i think indiana ran a double drag with miles turner and bruce brown setting a screen for tyrese halliburton and turner set the first screen and bruce brown set the second screen and this is one of the things that Pacer stars started to turn to as the game advances. They said, Anthony Davis is wrecking us at the point of attack. So we're going to start using guard to guard screens rather than big. And look, that's a win for the Lakers. If you listen to the podcast leading into the championship game, Zach Lowe had a, a string of like great numbers about Tyrese Halliburton. And one of the ones that he discussed was like, the Halliburton Miles Turner pick and roll is like literally the most efficient play in basketball. Mm-hmm. And it's like 
they score like 1.3 points per possession or something crazy on this action when on any play, basically, that starts with a Turner, Halliburton pick and roll. So it doesn't have to be Halliburton shoots or Turner shoots. Or right, Turner but it just shoots. initiated it's just like, by that action. We're running yeah. this action and then what it leads to. And so that's an amazing number. It's an amazing number. And so this action or the play that Mike was describing, they run this double drag and AD basically just leaves Turner and he goes with Bruce Brown on the yeah, dive. Brown is the because on the set. Because yep. yes, so Turner popped and Brown dives and AD rolls with Brown. Brown gets to catch and he just slings it to the corner to Obi Toppin, who is the open guy. AD then basically vacates and says, I'm going to close out to Toppin, leaps so damn high and runs Toppin off of the line. So then Toppin attacks, rips right, and AD then chases back and then he passes off and then Rui challenges and then the ball goes back and then it's just like, oh my God, all of this breaks down and then AD's getting a block at the end. And it's just like, what the hell happened? He was in multiple places all in the same And position. that multiple places at once gets guys hearing footsteps. Because if you watch that play, Brown would have been way better off if he caught yes. it and went up quickly. But what happens is guys start being like, oh, I don't know exactly where AD is because his back was to him, right? And so... You start assuming like, ah, if I put this up, I'm going to get it blocked. And so that happens all the time in plays that AD doesn't necessarily get a stat for where, and he is brilliant at this, where it's like, he will challenge the shot, the the ball handler enough and then get back to the big guy to where the ball handler has like jumped or has made some move where he's like, oh, the big guy challenged me and therefore I'm going to pass it to the big guy. But then AD just got back to him and so... Now he's in midair. I think Buddy Heald had one like this where he's like stuck in yeah. midair and he's like, ah, he just kind of flings it off the backboard. It has no chance of going in. And so that though, that play, D, Rui was fantastic on that play. I agree with your evaluation about his yes. overall game, but he was the initial challenge on Brown at the rim. And this is how it stacks on yep. top of each other in that like there was another play where Torian Prince got back cut and they passed it to the guy, but he was a little slow in getting it up and Prince challenged it. And that bought AD enough to time to to block it from behind mike and so let's let's take a break here come back keep it going so one of my goals right now is to eat better but in the thick of the nba season that can be hard to do so i recently signed up for factor which is america's number one ready to eat meal delivery service they can help you fuel up fast for breakfast lunch and dinner with chef prepared dietitian approved ready to eat meals delivered straight to your door You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track for your healthy lifestyle while tackling all of your holiday to-dos. And so if you're too busy with holiday plans to cook, but you want to make sure you're eating well, with Factor, you can skip that extra trip to the grocery store and chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you need. Choose from 35-plus weekly, flavor-packed, fresh and never-frozen meals that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, all delivered right to your door and ready to eat in two minutes. Head to factormeals.com slash Lakerfilm50 and use code Lakerfilm50, all one word, to get 50% off. That's code Lakerfilm50 at factormeals.com slash Lakerfilm50 to get 50% off. This is such a fun little micro point to focus on because it had me thinking of a couple things. So first of all, Pete, remind me, I want to hear, there has to be some kid on an opposing team in high school, there was a shot blocker that you tried to prep your kids for. Uh, and and then like, but they just had to, to F around and find out. 
um, on the drive. Yes, yes. So, so, so hold that thought. But like, so when I when I was playing high school basketball, um, I I, I still remember the dude on on like the first time that I was like, okay, I know I can turn the corner. I know I'm gonna get to the rim, and and just I can't finish in the paint around this guy. Like, there's just not enough room. He's gonna come over and he's gonna help. And to this, the, what that does to your yep. psyche. Um, as a player, but in high school, you might not see that guy ever again, or if it might be the next year, or he may have graduated. And it just made me think about the the scouting report and Anthony Davis being on it, and the opponents, and like them knowing that he's in there. Uh, and so, just even before the game starts, like there's there's part of that, and then still you're gonna you're still probably gonna drive it, and then you get, you get your shot blocked. But by like the second quarter, or certainly by the fourth quarter in crunch time. Um, that that just like even crunch time of the of the Warriors Cavs series when it was LeBron coming over for those settings and Steph and Clay just didn't want to drive like that these things in basketball um are it's just such a a, clo- a, a an interesting little point about how players deal with that so now do, did that happen in high school like was there somebody that you had to try to prep guys for and and uh, in anything along those lines I, I'll make it quick but there was this one dude on on the other team we called him evil Tristan because we had this kid on our team named Tristan who was a big man and this kid looked just like him but was like a pretty a good deal better than than our guy um and he was like six five which at my level of basketball was a center but like 275 this kid was one of those dudes where it's like man you're in high school at least you said that but you got a goatee you got a wife and a kid mortgage like just one of those high school dudes that like looks like he's 25 and he just had a level of he wasn't much of a, a leaper but he was uh he had great timing and he was just big as hell and 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 had mobility too, right? And that was the thing that kind of separated him from our big guys that he was mobile as well. As well, and so it was more like guys bounced off of him in ways that he didn't commit a foul necessarily. It just there's no way to simulate that in practice. And I remember he was in our league, so we'd play him twice a year. And it was always I remember Vogel talking about Jokic in this way, where like you kind of have to have a practice like just to prepare for that team in ways that you don't have to for other teams. But yeah, that was, that was our, our guy it was evil Tristan and uh, in, in dealing with how much bigger he was and, and faster than anybody we had. That's right. <laughs> See, we had that guy on my team. Oh, that, that's always nice. That imbues you with confidence. Yeah. Hey, my boy, Revy, man, my boy, Tim, he was like six, four in like eighth grade. So our eighth grade team went undefeated. And like, basically we just played through Tim the whole time. And then all through high school, he was just like, he basically ended up being like 6'6". But he was just a big dude, like his whole life. But he was like super skinny. So sort of like Chet Holmgren in that he was a guy who, because he was thin his entire life, like people tried to just bully him. And so you see how Chet is now in the NBA and how he sort of has this tenacity Mm -hmm. to him. And it's because dudes have been trying to beat him up his entire life because he's had that same frame his entire life and if you get to a level where you keep playing and you're good enough you're just gonna just be swatting dudes all of the time the thing about ad to bring it back to him is that his timing is so good and his ability to contest without fouling like one of the crazy stats from this past game is that he did all that work going to the glass and getting block shots and he had two fouls Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, he fouled out Miles mm-hmm. Turner and he was giving fits to Isaiah Jackson as well. And so AD's brilliance 
as a defensive player wasn't just in all of the navigation of of like really being an all court defensive player, playing high against Halliburton, then recovering to the paint, recovering back to the three point line, and then back to the paint. He had this fantastic closeout late in the game to yeah, Turner. Yeah, didn't even shoot like on yep. the right wing yep. where he just got Turner off the three point line. And those types of extra effort plays, AD was making those all night. And to speak to Mike's point earlier from the last pod, it's like one of the reasons why you can't always be this dominant offensive player is because like you're running around doing all of the hard and dirty work defensively that like most superstar players just don't do at this level. They just don't play that way. But AD does defensively and I'm not saying he doesn't take possessions off or this is that and the other but he's like literally one of the best defensive players if not the best defensive player in the world and it's like he showed it against a Pacers team that I think I tweeted this out but for the season have a 123.5 offensive rating which is historically the most efficient offense ever and the Lakers held them to a 102.8 defensive rating another thing I wanted to say Pete is that Cam Reddish and Anthony Davis were credited with um, contesting 27 shots against the Pacers. Wow. The Pacers themselves defensively contested 37 as a team for the entire game. And so just to show you the level of activity that AD and Reddish had specifically and to pull out the AD numbers specifically, um, he contested 17 shots on his own and Reddish contested 10. And, and so that level of activity that, that AD showed was just incredible defensively. And it's like, that's the sort of stuff that for all the like, oh, what, it, what he isn't, what he is, is that dude defensively that is just unreal and covers all of this ground that most other bigs can't even imagine doing. A couple of things. And first of all, I thought that I don't love praising a former Celtic in this way, but I thought that Doc Rivers was really on it uh, in terms of AD's defense. Mm -hmm. um, if you're watching that game and listening and and that was, you know, that was refreshing to hear, uh, like actually giving the credit. I think at one point he said he's I think he's pitching a perfect game uh, defensively while he was scoring and kind of like, hey, just don't just guys in case you haven't been paying attention like this is what's happening. And to bring uh, to bring just the, sh the, the Pacers shooting into this, because I think that one of the. I think for Indy, and I saw this in a couple of their quotes of their postgame quotes was sort of, well, we, you know, we missed a bunch of shots. And I was like, no, 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 no. I, they, their shots were all contested, save for a couple. And so the threes that they're used to getting, they're such a rhythm team and Halliburton is, is able to create such open shots, but the Lakers were doing so much recovering with length that like they took 41 threes. I don't remember many of those being great looks. Um, they, and, and this is kind of, this comes back to my, why I'm glad that the ISC ratcheted up the, the intensity to playoff level. It comes back to the shooting point that like when, when the defense is closing out to that degree, which doesn't happen as much in the regular mm -hmm. season, all the shots are harder for both teams. And you still have to make some, like, there's no doubt the Lakers made two of 13, uh, threes, but that, <laughs> I almost count that. I almost count that out because like Indy, this is what Indy does. I, we, I said it in the pregame story. They give up the most paint points in the league. They close out hard to three point shooters. They try to make you drive. Then they try to push behind you and they try to get threes and they play a math game. And a lot of times it works, but it doesn't work if the other team is up for it and yep. ready for it and has <laughs> length. 
And and that's all like it's not it's we get into the whole shooting debate. But I this is to me what happens more in these big games when you've got guys contesting everything. You know, you're going to have to do more than just get a jump shot. Like you're going to have to find ways to get to the line, to get to the rim and and to like game seven. Lakers Celtics is another good example of this. Sure. Where I don't know if a jump shot fell for the entire <laughs> game. Um, and and so I'm I'm just like that had this imprint on my brain. I think my basketball brain and asking Kobe about it after. So I, I didn't mean to make that my own aside, but I just it's not. Indy didn't just miss shots nope. because they missed shots. OK, they were forced into missing shots. It's sort of the perimeter manifestation of what you were talking about earlier, Mike, about that guy around the rim that makes you like, that's how you react to it when you're the offensive player, that guy that gets you thinking. 100%. The close out from length. Yeah. Yeah. And like one of the things that you think about once you're early in that game, say that guy around the rim gets that first block on you where it's like, oh, most of the time guys don't get to that. Right. And so you have this moment of adjustment. And one of the first things that you're going to do to adjust is like, okay, I'm going to try to do that same thing, but a little faster. I know he's going to be there. So I'm going to try and beat him there. And the same thing happens on those perimeter jumpers where even the open ones with that increased recovery speed on the closeouts, you just have to shoot that same shot, but do it faster. And that's something that as soon as you start changing a guy's shooting mechanics, then they start missing. Yeah. It's sort of like the the shots we see get missed around the hoop because guys hear footsteps. It's the perimeter equivalent of that. And kind of the in the inverse of that made me think of AD. If let's say that somebody bothers AD's shot at the rim, it, then he gets mad and just starts dunking. Like that's <laughs> yes. that's the other side of this. Like if you if you can go a step above that physically, LeBron can do the same thing. Although you know not as much in year twenty one, but like I that's when that part of AD comes out. And but a lot most guys can't do that. Most guys can't can't physically get past that that long contest, for example, on the perimeter or go through the actual trees in the lane. You know, like somebody a fleet of foot that's almost seven feet tall, like AD can. Let's go to break. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, 
Access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So one of the things that also matters here too is like who's taking the threes and what types of threes are there. Some of the threes that the Pacers got were open threes. Obi Toppin got a bunch of open threes and he made three three out of seven, right? Which is pretty good. And then Miles Turner also got a bunch of open threes and he went one for five. The threes that Turner took above the break, those are by design. Yep. Like the Lakers are fine giving up an open three to Miles Turner. And if Miles Turner goes four for five, maybe they adjust their coverage or maybe the Pacers actually win the game. The shot that the Lakers are going to allow, those are the shots that are going to go in. Tyrese Halliburton shoots like 44% on threes. I'm pretty sure he didn't get an open three all night besides maybe the one that he hit from the right wing where he got free a little bit. He was right at the top of the Lakers scouting report. Yep. And then one late one in the fourth when the Lakers were like up 10 and it was a transition type of, yeah, yeah. But anytime they were, they were got to be in an actual coverage, hundred percent. Yeah. They weren't, they were not going to allow that. Buddy Hill was two for nine from three. I can guarantee you he didn't get more than like two or three of those being open. And to Pete's point, when you are now seeing a contested shot time after time after time, like the open ones aren't always going to fall either, right? And And you're not in a rhythm when you take them. This idea of, because I heard, I was listening to the Hoop Collective earlier and Bontemps was saying, the Pacers just missed a bunch of open threes. And it's just like, well, they did miss some open threes. They did, to be fair. But there's no contextualization of what types of open threes they actually got, which were Miles Turner shoots 32% on threes during the season. So if he goes one for five, is that really a surprise? He shoots 32%. And then if Buddy Heald gets one open three after being hugged up on for the entirety of like the previous 15 minutes, and now he gets an open shot, do you really expect him? To hit that that open shot. No one pitches a perfect game offensively either, where it's just like, oh, I've been harassed this this entire time. It's like it's like a baseball hitter who's been thrown at a couple times, like, oh, this fastball just went right by my head. I had to duck out of the way. Like, oh, here's another one that's on the inside corner that's backing me off. Now they throw a fastball right down the middle and the guy swings right through. And it's just like, well, you got your pitch. Right. Why didn't you hit it? Right. It's just like, yeah, it's, did did you see all of the stuff that happened be, like before that? I was not comfortable right now when I got that shot. John Crook, Randy Johnson, right? All-star oh, game. All-time exactly. great moment. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's just, he's just like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to bail out. I'm going to swing at these and I'm go right. take my seat. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just go, yeah, Google that. Google so, John Crook, uh, Randy Johnson, if you know what we're talking great about. Great moment. So that's the nature of the defense that the Lakers were playing. It's this cumulative effect that it has on teams. And it's been that way for the last several games. I want to pivot, though, to what the Lakers did offensively, because there was a relentlessness that played into their 
defensive approach as well, but they did it on offense. And it's just sort of this given that like, oh, well, the Pacers aren't good against the rim. And so here come the Lakers who are going to attack the rim. But there was no let up at all the entire game. It's hard to continue to basically just say like, we're just going to keep going, keep going. I thought Austin was great at this. I thought LeBron was great at this. And obviously AD was as well. But there was a focus on saying we're going to score at the rim every single time. And 86 points, man, 43 baskets in the paint. It's just an unreal number. And so tell me what you saw. I don't I don't think he's the main character in this topic, but I do want to talk about D'Angelo Russell in this context. I think he had five of his assists to AD. And what was the game? I think it was against Phoenix where AD went like 10 for 26 and he missed a bunch of bunnies around the hoop. But it was also like Hey man, give me the world in which we're getting Anthony Davis 26 shots in the game. I remember the conversations we were having not too long ago and and certainly last year as well where it's like, hey, he's got 12 shots tonight. And D'Lo, who I I can't wait to talk more about as as the season goes on, but D'Lo was really going out of his way to get AD the ball. He had this one post entry, and this is fun when the pass actually goes through. It's very frustrating when it gets deflected where it was like, oh, why are you making that pass? But AD had made a rim run and a, a post seal and D'Lo attacked from the top of the key and Stu always gets driven crazy by flat angle passes. And this is sort of like the interior high low version of it where like D'Lo didn't really have the angle. Normally you want to make a post entry from the wing or below unless a guy has the seal that's right in front. And AD had his defender on his hip, but D'Lo placed it so perfectly and he like stepped around and he's got that 6'10 length and the Pacers aren't good and on the defensive interior, got it through, got AD a dunk. And there was that sort of like, D'Lo talked about it. I'm going to feed the beast in one of the quarter breaks they had uh, D'Lo as the interview on on TV. And he was like, I'm going to keep feeding the beast in a way that this is a team where when we're at our worst D, you will lament like we need another guy who can pass and just kind of like the general passing of the team that Mike Delo's mentality of like, I'm going to facilitate the success of others, which is something that he's really like, I've just loved the amount that of joy that he takes from seeing other people succeed that I think is a mentality that's super important on this team. The headliner is freaking LeBron James wins the IST MVP and he was really the rock offensively throughout the IST and then AD obviously dominated this game. But I just wanted to give a little bit of love to D'Lo as somebody who was a plus 17 and I loved his interaction with Bruce Brown. I just think mentality wise, like he's in a great place. And so, yeah, man, talk to me about, about D'Lo and just where, wherever you want to go on the offense. No, I think the D'Lo point was so well made. I don't need to follow up too much on it. I did have a good angle on the D'Lo and Bruce Brown interaction. Ooh. And I had a good angle on that throughout the Western Conference Finals uh, and including into the offseason when Brown was just essentially, um, you know, he earned he earned the right, I think, to, to pop off some, but he took it a little far uh, in the context of what guys usually do um, to, to the point of just um, continuing to hammer it and hammer it and hammer it. And almost, you know, not in like a mean spirited is too, I think, strong because this is sports, you know, but he was taking it beyond just the sporting element and like basically really trying to make Russell feel bad uh, about it. Like it, and it was in pouring it on. So I, I like that Russell came out and, you know, not only did he kind of use Brown's aggressiveness against him uh, in the way, 
But then he did it again, and then he pointed to the bench and, and essentially told him to sit down. Like I, that's that's good. That was all that was all fair uh, in the context of it. And Brown didn't really do much in the whole game. Uh, and and he, I think one what what Delo said after, he said, in short, hey, Jokic isn't over there next to you, bro. Like, what are you going to do now? And he wasn't able to do as much. So put that on the side for a second. I wanted to just focus briefly as as Darius introduced this, Pete, and I thought it was great that you took it in the D-low direction. I, I just was watching LeBron to start the game. And like when LeBron is when LeBron is doing all of the little things um, on top of the big things he does, but with full sprint, like full effort, full full energy, the other team just looks hopeless. So often, unless they have, they really have the personnel, and like even Neesmith, who is going to battle and never give up, and he I didn't, like him. but yeah. he what I like him too, but he wasn't impeding what LeBron was doing. Nah, you know you're not. He's too big and too strong. Uh, he just is too brilliant. Yep, and brilliant on top of it, right? So even if you're going to use your body, then he's like he's got three counters for that. Yep, um, exactly. he's got, and he used and he used them all early, and I thought that like Denver was able to sustain that better. Partly because of Aaron Gordon, who was who was bigger um, than most and more athletic, and, and and also though just because of that whole rest advantage that I we felt like they had from from not having to make the push from March April and like the Lakers were worn down, LeBron was worn down by that point. Yeah, his foot, Mike. Like he was playing on a bad foot. This athlete that's on the court, right? Like we talk about, oh, it's not going to be as good in year twenty one. Like yeah, compared to like year ten, LeBron. But this dude's still one of the best athletes on the court, Mike. Right? And now that his foot's better, as opposed to that Denver series, like I just, he just seems like a much better athlete than he was in in the playoffs last year. Well, and and so the foot the foot is one thing, and I. I'm steering away from the foot only because I don't, I just don't know, you know, the degree that like clearly it was bothering, but I'm so, so the, what the foot did though, it made him take about three weeks off, uh, like three, four weeks. And then he had to come back and he immediately had to play like serious, real basketball. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was just contributing to a general um, lack of, of yeah. pop and push, yeah. you know, less so than just like the foot itself. It's just relative to where Denver was physically where, yes, they like they took their foot off the gas, but they still were out there getting their cardio. And so it was just their mm-hmm. their train was moving steadily along the tracks and the Lakers. Alas, the, the point in this game, though, in, in person was just watching LeBron assert his physicality, Darius, in a way that I'm going to ask you to kind of describe here. Uh, and you probably remember a play or two, but just the way that he puts his shoulder in front and steps through and and you get you give him the tiniest angle of any kind. And it's a layup. You know, it's a bucket. And, and it's just like it's. The way that he's able to manipulate his body in that sense to me is is one of the more underrated parts of of like what the whole LeBron package does. 100%. If I could make one quick point about D'Lo, he had two or three buckets at the start of the fourth quarter that I thought were critical. Like mm-hmm. the Lakers won by 13 or 14 points, whatever they won by, but it got down to a three-point game mm-hmm. at one point because they continued the battle, which was a point that Mike made the last pod. Cam hit a huge three during that stretch of the game that uh, will not be forgotten. It was very similar to the three he hit against uh, Phoenix. Phoenix, yes, where it's just like corner three, big part of the game. It's important that this shot goes in, and it did go in. And then from that point on, the Lakers like rolled the rest of the game. But D'Lo hit some like, real stabilizing shots at the start there 
where they needed those buckets to go in. And I'm glad that he sort of recovered because he had had a middle stretch of the game where his passing was excellent, but his shooting mm-hmm. was not quite there. And so I agree with what you're saying, Pete, like Delo's the second best passer on this team by like a, a mile. mile. Yes. The distance between him and the yeah. next best passer is huge. The stretch you were talking, so he had the driving finger roll layup, right, after Indy had cut it to three. Um, and then, then Indy, Connor with the McConnell finger roll layup, and then he hit a 15 foot fadeaway, right? And so, like, it was just that. Yeah, the one from the right wing. Yeah. And so it was like two, like two. And then he had, uh, let's see, he had another bucket later, um, later in the fourth. But like those, those two, in addition to Cam, were like, those are the times when you just have to have somebody hit a shot. Uh, and he did that last postseason too, I felt like. 100%. They just needed those buckets because the tenor of the game was like, the Pacers are, we're trying to make our mm-hmm. push. And the Lakers needed to fend them off. And they needed baskets to fend them off because that wasn't a part of the game where the Lakers were going to be as oppressive defensively. Anyways, back to LeBron. The stuff that stands out to me, Mike, is like, it's the point that Pete made earlier about the intelligence and the physicality that you were talking about. And where it shows up to me the most is how he runs the lane and the cuts that he makes. And so there are not a lot of players of LeBron's ilk on ball, like dominant usage players who have mostly been on on ball guys who are as comfortable running without the basketball and making cuts without the basketball in order to make a play. And so the play where he raced up the right wing and maxed through him that bounce pass, it's just like, Oh my God, look how fast he's running the lane here. The plays where he's then making face cuts and Doc Rivers called this out out a bunch where he's literally standing right there and he is just crossing your face with a great cut or reading you right right when his man ball watches for just a half Mm -hmm. a beat too long. LeBron's gone and he's back cutting you and he's huge. Doc Rivers called this out too. So when he's cutting and he's getting downhill, he knows how strong he is and how much momentum he has. And it's impossible to stop him without fouling him. And then the other play that stood out to be where the physicality just rung out is Neesmith is not a small Mm -hmm. man at all. And this ended up being a call that got reversed and they changed the blocking call to a charge call. But LeBron in the open court attacking Neesmith at full speed. Neesmith finally just sort of stood like stood in there. But LeBron just went right through Mm -hmm. him and just like obliterated Mm -hmm. him. And this dude is not small at all. And so, yes, it did get reversed. But I just thought the physicality that he used in order to like just get to the basket and be like, no one's going to deny me here. It doesn't matter how big and how strong you are as an opponent. Those were the sorts of plays where I think, Mike, when you talk about LeBron's physicality at this stage of his career and Pete, you're talking about his his athleticism still. Those are the sorts of plays that that like jump to the front of mind for me because he is running yes. so hard and still showing such instincts to go get it where physically a lot of guys at this point of their career would be contented just standing and watching. It all starts though with the recognition of if I do sprint here and now, the timing of it all, that then I can get a bucket out of this. And so it starts with that recognition and ability to identify opportunities. 
I wanted to give a quick shout out to Austin Reeves on the offensive end as well. Had 22 first half points, I believe, um, and was played with a ton of force um, and getting to the basket was part of that point paint. Yeah, and, and was sick too. Uh, yes, like really yes, sick. the flu game. Yeah, Austin I, flu game. I saw him the day the day before <laughs> in the hotel, and I was like, uh oh. Yeah, <laughs> but he he rallied, man. Yeah, he was awesome. LeBron's comments were hilarious post game. Y'all caught that. Mike right? was in it. So, j- just j- I wanted to say one thing about that. So, a, a reporter from Spain um, asked Austin, like in a serious way, right? Like, hey, Jordan's flu game, your flu game, and Austin was like, hey, no, 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 no. Like, don't, and so <laughs> you need LeBron, to relax. <laughs> LeBron heard. I think I don't want to speak for LeBron. I think LeBron heard that in the background, and so LeBron was kind of LeBron was clearly joking, clearly being, hey, Ar, okay. what which game yeah, was better, yeah. you or Jordan? And I think it it got there. And I saw it was tweeted a couple of times in a way where it was like it was a serious question. It was not. It was a joke. And I even walked because I was doing <laughs> right. the interview with Austin, so I mentioned it to him. Hey, LeBron said this, but like clearly it was in jest. So just want to clarify that it was a joke yes austin does not want to be association with the jordan flu game but uh but hey i was impressive <laughs> nonetheless i thought lebron was joking but it was just hilarious it was funny but like it, i i just wanted to emphasize uh the being fun police here uh in the opposite way that it, that it was a joke so if i can shine some light on a little bit of a, a dynamic um between lebron and austin is I think LeBron has been very amused watching Austin's like rise in fame. And there's this great clip that we, we didn't post. Maybe we will at, at some point, but it was the day after Austin went on Jimmy Kimmel and he's telling LeBron in the locker room about the experience. And he's like, Oh man, my palms were sweating. And like LeBron's been famous, like his whole freaking life. Right. But he is extremely amused by watching like the Austin Reeves experience. And so anyway, he'll, he'll like feed into that whenever he can. We got to go. This is a ton of fun. We'll be back after this Dallas game to break down how that went. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here's on the line. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! Brian! Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Brian. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. 
And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.